Together podcast. I'm your host, Stefan Morales, thinker, maker, doer behind Working Together, a burgeoning hub of can-do and know-how, inspired to explore who we are and how we can work together better. I'm fascinated by all the ingredients that you need to really make something happen, to really engage a system and the groups of people within it. And so, on this podcast, you'll hear a lot of stories from folks who've made interesting things happen. Their trials and tribulations, their reflections, their lessons learned, and the actionable advice that they have to share. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I did. In this episode of the Working Together podcast, I have a conversation with a fellow by the name of Ash Perrin. So I came across through a BBC3 video that really inspired me. It showed them clowning around and having fun and playing games in refugee camps in mainland Europe, and it just kind of blew me away what they were up to there and how they were, how they were pulling this off. I was so curious, so I reached out to them and managed to, uh, managed to have a talk with Ash. Um, and so basically, in this episode, you'll hear us talk all about their project, the Flying Seagulls Project, which is an effort to bring smiles and happiness to people through clowning um, and to basically help people achieve a sense of well-being within circumstances that are really, really difficult and hard to manage. I hope you enjoy it. You know, I like to I like to start out all of all of the interviews that I do for working together um, with uh, with a base, you know, like a bit of an exploration of what brought you to the work that you're doing, um, <clears throat> and uh, you know, kind of the history of your organization, so to speak, that okay. that brought you to today. Um, so I'd be really curious to hear, um, yeah, f- from your perspective, bit, like both on the one hand that that organizational story, but also your story, like how you link in with it and, and how you became, um, a flying seagull, I guess, would I call you a flying seagull or? Yeah. That, that's what we call ourselves. The okay. Seagulls. Perfect. Want a seagull also. But it's, but the, the two, the two, uh, histories are not so, I mean, basically once, once it happened, once the seagull project happened, there was no more distinction between what's me and what's the organization. And it's, you know, I get laughed at because I half wear a costume because I don't have, like my clothes are the costume and vice versa and <laughs> everything that's mine belongs to the seagulls and nothing that's the seagulls belongs to me. So it's, it's, it's all now interlinked. But mm-hmm. it began with um, the organization began in uh, as a kind of manifest. What's the word? Not manifestations. Word. It was a coming together of all sorts of ideas in a very emotive moment. So I used to be I went to drama school and I wanted to be an actor until I met loads of other actors, and it turned out that they're a bit annoying, most of them. So I thought, oh, no. <laughs> you know, I don't want to spend my life surrounded by it. And it was said, not necessarily the actors, but the industry itself is, is very focused on quite a kind of prescribed ego presentation. And you, mm-hmm. it's all about gaining acceptance, and often for appearance rather than substance. Right. So it is, it is challenging. Uh, so I did clowning through drama school just to pay... The, the, my way we're not particularly wealthy and although I got a scholarship even living in London was you know it's oh, a yeah. pricey thing yeah so I did clowning and it's really well paid and I, I took to it quite quickly I really enjoyed it so when I left acting school I did a lot of uh, a lot of clowning work 
and it just pays so well that I had a great time. I'd clown and then go traveling and then come back and clown. And then it was a perfect existence. You get paid a lot of money for short work. Hmm. And if you're hyperactive naturally, then it's not even that draining on your energy. Like yeah. energy. <laughs> it's kind of, you know, a good way to get yourself to sleep is to do four kids parties and you'll also earn a grand. So it was all worth it. And then I went to Cambodia, uh, Purely as a tourist, purely like everybody does from England when they've got a bit of money. They go to Thailand or Laos or Cambodia. And I did all the things you normally do, tick the boxes. And one is go to an orphanage. And I always brought my magic stuff with me when I went traveling. And I went to this orphanage. And I did a little magic show and I had my guitar and played some songs. And it was just to see the reaction of the kids as they made mm. their way in. Especially the boys. Like the boys were especially keen on the male volunteers. Uh it was just it was just quite striking. And then when we left the next day, I was with my sister, we left about three days later. And it, it occurred to me that there was that there was something different about that group of kids. They were like, you know, one years old to twenty one years old, I guess. Hmm. And in four days, not one of them ever cried. Not one cried, not once. Hmm. They fell over, they did all the things that kids do, but they didn't do any crying. And I think about it in the car, I think like, why? And you go, Well, you cry because it gets you care. You know, when you're little, you hurt yourself or you get upset and you cry and then whoever cares for you emotionally comes to your aid and cuddles you or tells you it's all right or whatever. If you have grown up without a parent, but with just people who work there whose job it is to feed you and to make your bed, but not to love you, then why would you bother to cry anymore? Because mm. no one comes if you do. And that thought of like nobody to give them a hug if they cry and like and they're kids. I don't know. It was like a sheltered, I guess a sheltered UK upbringing. You just go, that is unacceptable. And I got really choked. And then, hmm. you know, in that moment, it was the kids in that orphanage. But in the next breath, it was all the kids in the world. And it was just suddenly, you know, my head just exploded with realizing that the world is full of really lonely, uncared for kids and then people. And then in, in general, just there's so many people that are sad and lonely, old people, yeah. young people, yeah. everywhere. And I, so I started, I really wept because it was a real breaking of... The, the kind of shell that I might have been, you know, yeah. safely brought up in and lovingly brought up in by my parents, but hidden from the truth of the world, which is that it's not okay in most places. In fact, in very few places, is it okay? And I thought, well, I've always been quite, you know, I was into environmental activism when I was younger and and that sort of thing. And I thought, and I've been angry for a long time because mm -hmm. I was, you know, the system ain't showing. And then in this moment, I suddenly thought, but I could do something about it because I am a kids entertainer and a kids clown, and. And I've never met a group of kids, even really badass ones, that I can't get to kind of feel relaxed and to chill out a little bit and to have some fun. So that was it. I, got, I dried my eyes, got to this hostel we were staying in, wrote the entire project out on a piece of paper, wrote myself a letter saying, when you get home, you must make this happen. No more, you know, bullshitting around. You've got to do this. Hmm. Uh, and then flew back a week later. I was going to stay in Asia for like three, four months, but I didn't. Flew back the next week, told a couple of other clown mates, like, this is what I'm doing. And I think they didn't, they never thought I'd do it. Like Matt, who's one of our head clowns, he was like, man, if you do it, I'm in. <laughs> and I was like, all right, but I'm going to do it. And he was like, I'm sure you are, pal. And if you do, I'm in. And then two months later, I'd spent the rest of my money that I was going to travel with buying a transit van. We had it painted. We got in touch on it on online with loads of Romanian orphanages. And that was it. I said, man, we're leaving in a, in a couple of weeks. He's like, uh, what? <laughs> yeah, we did it. Wow. He's like, you, you, you can't just do it. I said, well, we are just doing it. So, <laughs> so that was it. We drove to Romania. No idea what we were doing. And not, not, you know, ideas of how to do it with kids, but we'd only ever done it with, you know, 30 kids in a posh family's front room 
as a kids party or a corporate event or a whatever mm-hmm. and yeah and it was just it baptism of fire but it was from the minute we arrived it was like we'd found our, our true home it was it was glorious and especially the badass kids of the gypsy communities and roma roma gypsy communities in romania like they've been mistreated for a very long time mm-hmm. and the kids grow up in a very defensive and aggressively defensive community so when you go in and like we used to I used to run on my stilts in front of the van like it's going hide 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 villa tot villa circula circula and they come out and they just look like like a gar no go pentru noi like for us and you go da da vin vin like come on come on and it was amazing they like hundreds have run out of their houses and for two hours they're so shocked that you not only want to talk to them but they've come into their camp, which is dangerous, by most people considered dangerous. And you're making a racket on stilts with a trombone. <laughs> you know, it's not just that you're not scared; it's that yeah, you're, yeah. You're, you're you're sticking your face in everyone's face yeah, yeah. and making the most noise you can. Uh, so that that was the first year, and we just all agreed. Like especially for me, it was that was it. There was no going back. I came mm. back to England. I quit my acting agent. I sold everything I owned so that I had a bit more money to kind of pursue wow. it. That was ten years ago. Ten years ago, next year will be our tenth year. So, oh, this September is our the beginning of our tenth year. Holy and cow. so, since then, we did. We've been to Romania. I don't know eight or nine times. Cambodia, Ghana, India, uh, in uh, Albania. You know, we formed we formed partnerships with medical charities who work with children who are terminally ill. We've worked. We, we teach in Romania. We joined a conference where we train. Uh, medical practitioners who work with kids, how to integrate play mm-hmm. and art into their conversation. And it's just, yeah, it seems that there's just a missing a missing piece in the humanitarian aid world. You know, there's a lot of amazing people doing medical care and building houses and, you know, selfless, incredible mm-hmm. professionals doing. But if a kid feels miserable, it doesn't matter how well they are. And if a kid feels mm-hmm. unencouraged, it doesn't matter how nice the building is because they're going to grow up disenfranchised and develop either antisocial and destructive habits that can be an impact on society or worse than that, they're going to grow up with no confidence and they won't make their mark at all. And it's such a lost potential for the world and such a tragedy for them. So, yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. That story is around. like, yeah, it's, it's such a, such an amazing story. And, and the fact that you, that you had this, it sounds almost like a religious experience almost. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was a real, it was a real moment of like, I mean, like, I, you know, I've got, I've told this story quite a few times. Like, and I've always tried to remember, so I don't exaggerate or fluff it up. Like in this, in this camp, I li- I remember exactly. I was listening to a piece of music by Tumani Diabate. It's track number nine. I know, it, I can still know it. It's about a hippo that got killed, and it's such an, a moving piece of music. And I had that in my ears, and I could just, I could just like. It wasn't, it wasn't feeling sorry. It's the first time I had like selfless tears. I wasn't crying because I found it sad. I was crying because it is an unfair tragedy of humanity that there are people who are that alone and especially kids. And it really shook. Like I wept. I was like in the car, just like snot coming out of my yeah. nose, like <laughs> yeah. a mess. And my sister who's with me, we, we were quite close back then. She said nothing. She just put her hand on my knee and said nothing. And it must've been like half an hour in the cab of just like, just, just sobbing. Yeah. And that energy has propelled us ever since. And when people say, like, you know, how do you keep going? You're 35 and, you know, I, I don't have a penny to my name. We're always on the move. I live somewhere for a few weeks or a month and then we have to go. And it is, you know, those things are difficult. Like, of course they are. But that initial momentum, whenever we, whenever we feel tired, it's just remembering that if, we, if you have something that can cheer someone up, you know, not even build a house, but we can make a kid feel better about themselves. Mm-hmm. That's like the ultimate gift. 
to make someone feel confident or to make someone feel welcome. Like, how can we sit in England earning money and not sharing that with kids who are feeling unconfident and unwelcome? It doesn't seem natural. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. And it's, you know, as you said, right, like this, this idea of, you know, you cry because it gets you care. And mm. the fact that these kids have grown up their whole lives not getting the care that, you know, that they need when they needed it, that they've just, yeah. they've shut down emotionally in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, the phrase that went around my head was this, it was no one to hug you if you cry. That's, that, that's what got stuck in my head that morning in Cambodia. There's no one to hug you if you cry. That is a tragedy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and particularly, like you're saying, for, for us uh, privileged folk in the first world, right, who, who have, uh, you know, not everybody in the first world has amazing upbringing, but a lot of us do. And, and, um, and we haven't really dealt with the kind of hard knocks that other folks around the world have. And it certainly does affect you as a, as a person as you grow older. And, and it is a huge gap in humanitarian aid, right? Like it is, it It really is. It's like, and not just in humanitarian aid, like in the world, look at the government. Why isn't there a well being department? So you say Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. we've got an idea, right? We're we're in, we're, we're economically fragile or we've had a crash and we think this is what happened last year. We think we should take spare rooms of disabled people, we'll call it a bedroom tax. If they have a spare room that they're not using, we'll take it off them, and that will save us this much money. So it goes to the accounts department, right? And they say, you're right, it will save us some money. Then it goes through to, I don't know, the the logistics department, let's say, and they say, yes, it's doable, it takes some legislation. But then there should be a final one, which is the well-being or the ethics department, who says, yeah, but it's not the right thing to do, and that won't feel very good for the disabled community who already have enough challenges. And if they have a spare room, it's probably because they've got loads of wheelchairs and stuff that normal people who are able-bodied people, I should say, mm-hmm. don't have. And so they probably need that so that their room isn't cluttered with all the equipment it takes just so they can remain their own version of mobile, which already is not as mobile as, as somebody who has two working legs. So like, it, there should be that, that idea of how does it feel. Mm-hmm. That should be involved in our schooling and in our industry and in our employment rights. You know, how does it feel to be employed under that law? Because that matters. Otherwise, what's the point in making a society where everyone feels crappy? But yeah, and- <laughs> yeah exactly right. Yeah, that's yeah. great. So I, you know, it to me it seems like one of the big ideas behind flying seagulls is this uh, is this well being, like trying to foster well being in the world. Um, but, you know, maybe let's talk a little bit about how you go about doing that, right? Like the process through which you do that. Um, it's very, it's all play-based, right? It's very, uh, you know, it's clowning. So I don't, maybe, you yeah. could, maybe you could talk a little bit about, about how you guys work. It is, it, and, and that in itself has been quite a journey, to be totally honest. Like we were talking about it yesterday, uh, me and Bendik, who's sitting opposite me, the Norwegian clown that's been with us for the last few years, is it started off as we went as clowns and did a clown show, a funny show mm-hmm. based around the theme of some magic tricks and some circus bits, maybe a parachute game where you'll get around and whatever. And then over the time, it, we've developed it into, it's, it's a conversation. So it's a conversation between us and them through the medium of play or through the medium of a show. So like even when we do the big community shows, which in the refugee camps, we always start with kind of two or three big shows. It's, 
you have to start a conversation and it has to, and, and, it's, and that's how you build a friendship. Hmm. So the, the show that we do is, impl- it, it, it's really hard to describe because it's so multidisciplinary. Disciplinary. So the clown, the purpose of the clown is a clown has no ego and a clown represents the foolishness and the mockery of the human self. So a clown never takes his or herself seriously. There's no threat from a clown because the clown has reveals their most foolish and flawed part. Mm-hmm. So it's really, it's really, really effective to have, to have us as clowns when we enter a camp or enter a community because we're immediately no threat there. Women couldn't fancy us there. Men couldn't think we're tougher than them. Even the kids don't think we're very smart, which is perfect. <laughs> but it's perfect because if you're at the bottom, you, you, already you can only make people feel good. If you mm-hmm. came in really stylish and there's people there who'll feel, who'll feel lessened by you and we want everyone to feel... Uh, empowered by our presence. So mm-hmm. first of all, we're clowns mm-hmm. because the clown has, there's no threat. Then we we play because in play, it's this lawless. <laughs> there's no right or wrong. Yes. I mean, there's ways to play a game. Duck, duck, goose is in a circle, but you know, if you get it wrong, it's not like you've got a science experiment. Wrong. It's just a game. So it doesn't really matter. So because there's mm-hmm. this absolutely pressureless, there's no result. There's no, there's no right or wrong. There's no, I mean, there is winning and losing, but you'll find another thing we developed, especially the last two years, is we realize that kids don't like to lose. So now we make losing better than winning. So when you lose in, in like duck, duck, goose. That's great. Quack, 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 woof. Yeah. If you get caught, you have to go in the middle of the circle and everyone goes, ah, na, 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 na. And then we clap and we cheer. So like, even though we are highlighting that you got caught, mm-hmm. which wasn't winning, Loads of the kids want to go in the middle. Yeah. So like they'll purposely run slow. And when they're in there, they're grinning like this. And you're going, everybody, hop, hop, na, 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 na. And it's, <laughs> we take away, there's no value to winning or losing. The value is that we as a community are sharing in each other's personalities. And, and that's the great thing about play is you don't have to qualify to do play. You don't have mm-hmm. to have a skill. Mm. If you can run about, even if you can't run about, if you're in a wheelchair, we can wheel you nice and fast. So, so yeah, so that's the play element. So, Clowning is, our, is, is where we come from, so there's no threat. Playing is the, is the structure so that we're safe within it. And then comes the circus skills. Now, circus skills normally comes a bit further down the line, circus and music. And the good thing about circus is like, the, the way we learn or the way that, I, that children learn, and the way that we learn too, let's be honest, is you try something you can't quite do and then you can do it. Or you have to practice a bit and then you can do it. And that sense of achievement makes you feel that you're able to expand your knowledge and expand your experience and Mm -hmm. engage more so in childhood it's super important that they have those challenges that they're supported through the challenge because unlike an adult a child has quite a large amount of like even bigger amount of fear when facing a challenge so even walking our tight wire which is Mm -hmm. two foot off the ground like it's that yeah uh some of the kids are terrified we build it up because people this is the mighty high wire only if you're brave can you try now they always try (laughs) <laughs> and they come and they stand up. Now, I hold, if they're really little, we just both hold a hand like this. So there's no way they could fall. Actually, some of them, we literally hold them in the air and their feet just do that <laughs> as they go across. Yeah. But when they get to the end, regardless of whether they've had a hand or done mm. it themselves, we just make sure the eye contact, they go, yeah, whoopa. And every kid, the sense of pride and achievement is, is A, it's healing for those who've had traumatic experiences because yeah. trauma does knock confidence. It makes you feel weak and disempowered. Oh, totally. But also, it teaches them that something you didn't think you could do with support, you can do. 
And then, you know, what, what better lesson can you learn in life that, that all challenges are overcomable with enough self-confidence and, and a helping hand? And mm-hmm. then, uh, yeah, so, so that's kind of, that, that, that's the circus thing. And then within that, you've then got the idea of the social worker or the psychiatric carer. Now, we're not qualified. I mean, we're not therapists. Mm-hmm. That isn't our qualification. But when I do a show or a workshop or anything like that, and the whole team do it, we call it, um, we call it community holding. So I feel like I take them, all of them, in my arms. I don't physically, but like energetically. Mm-hmm. And we hold them. We hold them. By, by we kept eye contact. Eye contact is like our continuous currency. Every single kid in that show is going to be looked at meaningfully and truthfully by all of us. So when I look at you, you know I'm looking at you. And there'll be smiles and jokes and little things and a noise and a wave. And they all feel that they've been individually noticed. And then throughout the whole show and throughout all the circus feels and stuff, we are, we're, we're totally and utterly like with them, with them energy, uh, energized, energy-wise. Our energy is with them. I don't know how to say it properly. It's all good. It's all good. You get it. Yeah. So, um, and then, and then the final piece of the puzzle is... Is, and this is, like, for me, I think almost the most important, is once you've taken on, uh, and kids are really quick to open up. You know, mm-hmm. You're their mate in 10 seconds if, if you get it right. Once you open that up, then you have to keep your promise and manage their expectations. So I won't say, I'll come every day. They'll ask, you come tomorrow, you come tomorrow? Bukra, bukra? I go, no bukra, no. Bahar bukra, the next day. Or I say, no, 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 maybe one month, maybe not. I don't know. And you never say you're going to come if you're not. Mm-hmm. And if you say you're going to come, by God, you come and you be on time. And then that keeping a promise, again, adds to all the rest. They feel confident because they feel valued by you mm-hmm. because you told them you'd come and you did. And you came for them and not to teach them because I'm not asking anything from them. I'm not a teacher. I don't mm-hmm. want their homework. I don't want them to learn writing. I'm coming because I care if they're happy and they know that. So then it's like to know that them being happy matters and to know that their feelings matter to me to the point that I will come back when I promise it kind of it can really undo a lot of a lot of the feelings of isolation and abandonment. Totally, but it can also yeah. really embolden them them enjoying life. So then, if they did like dancing or they did like singing, and I've told them their happiness and their joy matters, then after I've left, the chances are they're going to put that play and that song and that experience a bit higher up on their priority list. If they're feeling glum, maybe they will sing our song. Mm-hmm. And we've heard from all over Greece. We get emails still to this day from Idomeni Camp. The kids are all still singing our song. They're all singing it all the time. And it's a rubbish song, so it's not like, it's not like we wrote some good pop. It's What's just that fee five fo one. Do you, can you do it right now, this, this song? Yeah, it goes, it goes fee, fee five, fee five fo. Comma la, comma la, comma la vista. Yeah, 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 la vista. And I don't remember the next bit, so I made it up. It goes, awesome money, awesome money, you all, you all the money. Skip, yeah, the I die, the I die, the I do. And that's it. <laughs> That song in any refugee camp in Greece is known by every kid. And just just it's for the insane. sake of the listeners, um, Ash is doing some hand movements around his eyes and stuff when he when he's yeah yeah. There's some cool stuff going on. Um, that's that's totally great. And so he, like ha, like when was when was your trip to Greece? When was that? It's still going. So actually, we had okay. we just had our final team leader came back last week. It's just too hot. It's forty five fifty degrees, um, and the kids. Most of the kids are in uh, isoboxes, like porter cabins with air conditioning. Mm. So the parents, rightfully, the parents just say like, no, <laughs> they're yeah. not coming out to run around with you mad people yeah. playing sumo wrestling or whatever else. So like, <laughs> uh, 
And we, we need a bit of a restock, you know, we, we need to, Greece has changed, the situation's always changing, so Greece has shifted a bit, so yeah, now we've just come back. We started in Greece full-time since last September, we've been there ever since, and we have two circus big top tents up in two of the camps, and then we have a satellite team that, that goes to all the other camps in the area. Mm-hmm. And then four or five times a year, we send another team off to Athens or Thessaloniki, just to kind of keep, we, we promise them we'll come back each time. So we go back just for a day or an afternoon even mm-hmm. and just you know, play the same games and the same shows and things. So they have that consistency. So this, and I'll, then before, oh no, sorry, go, go on. No, you go on. Oh, just before that. So that was out of September. And then before then we went to the year before. So 2000 and whatever it was, 15, we spent a month in Lesbos and then we spent some time in Calais and Dunkirk. And then we went back to Greece in April, April Fool's Day last year. And we were there for three months. Basically, we toured every camp across Europe. And then the, the situation on the border happened. So we just went straight there and were there for about a month and a half. Wow. Yeah, no, I mean, just throughout your whole 10 years, I'm sure you guys have had all sorts of uh, really fascinating experiences on the margins. And are you hearing from people that you um, that you clowned around with, I guess, back in the day? I'm just curious what the connection yeah. is now with you to those folks in the beginning. We're still really in touch. I mean, Romania, Romania is my, I mean, I'm, I'm Romanian. I just got born in the wrong country by English people. <laughs> Otherwise I'd be Romanian. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a wonderful country and it's, I have a real, I have a real like close kinship with everybody that we've met. And so, yeah, we, we still go to Romania probably every year. I haven't been yet this year, but I'm planning on stopping on the way across. Uh, I'm going I'm to drive that route back to Greece via Serbia um, and Romania. So, yeah, the video that, con, that just recently went live, obviously on BBC Three did that video about us. That mm-hmm. one has evoked quite a lot of people that we haven't seen for years, even like leaders of organizations I worked with in 2008 mm-hmm. have been getting in touch and saying, our kids still remember you. The teenagers still talk about you. That's uh, amazing. Which is, which is, I mean, blindingly amazing. Yes. And then the, the really touching ones is, <laughs> and there's a little boy called Claudio. He's not so little anymore. He was tiny when we met him. He's based in a, a wonderful, amazing organization called Humanitas. And they have a safe homes project on the west of Romania. And we, that was our first ever place we ever went. And the two people that run it, Ramiz and Sarah, became like our best friends. We, we holiday together now. Not that we ever have holidays, but if we did, yeah. we'd go with each other. <laughs> uh, and they've got, they've got all sorts of wonderful kids there. But there's a little lad. And I think it was either last year or the year before, it got to Christmas time. It was the one year I hadn't been. We'd just been mm. caught up in other stuff. And I hadn't promised I would, but we didn't go. And it got to Christmas Day. And he said, no, 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 no. It's not Christmas. It can't be Christmas. The clowns come and then it's Christmas. <laughs> and, and we go in the summer. So, you know, we, we, we always go in the summer. So for him, there's two things that happen in a year. And they happen in the same order. The clowns come with Ash. And then it's Christmas. And it was like, it, <laughs> no. And it, like for a while, he refused to eat his dinner. Like he was like, no, no, this is wrong. That's amazing. So, yeah, so that's really good. It's really like that that group especially we've got really close ties with. I mean, they, sometimes they, they'll message me and stuff. But, you're uh, being you're yeah. being uh, put on equivalence with Christmas, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a big responsibility. That's, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. I mean, it, obviously, it is difficult because they grow older and there is a certain age, especially once um, you know, once they move on in, in in their lives as well. Sometimes they want to leave some of their childhood behind. Like you know, mm-hmm. I'm, with the refugee crisis, I wouldn't be surprised if many of the families we work with would rather leave the last couple of years in, in their memories and move into now they're moving into Sweden and Germany and having a chance to restart a new life. Yeah. Yeah. As much as they liked us. We've had some incredible you know, messages from them. I'm it's not something that unless they want to, it's not something we'll pursue because it's been 
you know, we were part of a bad experience. We were a good yeah. part of it, but yeah. still but, something uh, but they a, want to forget. A part of it nonetheless. And, mm. and so, yeah, that's, that's very interesting that they... Yeah. Uh, what was really nice with the kids is... Uh, and it happens more in England, I suppose, because of festivals. We do for seven years now. We've raised our money performing at the festivals. Is a kid will walk up to you. I know. Think about how many kids I meet a year. I'm not trying to depersonalize them, but I don't know, thirty thousand kids in a year I might meet. So like, I try my best to remember as yeah. many of them, but yeah. there's no way. And a kid will walk up and he'll just look at you, really expecting like. And it'll, sometimes he'll go, "Hey Bash, hey Bash," because Bash is my kind. Hey Bash, I'll go, "Yeah," and I go, "It's me." <laughs> Out of the blue, like out of the blue on a, on a field somewhere, right? in the street even. And, you go, and I always have to go, ah, yeah, man, ah, how you doing? Whoa, you got massive, what you've been up to. Like, yeah, yeah. I've no idea how of them are, but for them, like, and that's the point, we want them in our work to feel like they're the centre of our world. Mm -hmm. And so the, the fact that they might think that after three years of not seeing them, we'd know them like a son or a brother, that's the point, and it means we've done our job well. Because yeah. that's how personal I want the interaction to be. That's, so, yeah, it's quite great. amazing. That's great. Yeah, and I, you know, like, a lot of the stuff that you guys are doing here, like, the the circus skills, that seems like something that was, that you guys have maybe introduced more recently, right? Um, were you doing a lot of the clowning stuff, and then you kind of came and started doing the circus stuff, and... Yeah, we, we always had it, for, we always had it with us. We always had spinning plates and juggling balls, mm -hmm. but... um. Uh, but it, it was it was more as part of a kind of longer yeah. program. So we always did like an hour of circus stuff, maybe an hour of music lesson or music dancing in class. And so it's kind of as, as things have evolved. Obviously, the thing with circus is it's so physical that if you have got a kid who's got uh, you know socially challenging behavioural issues, let's put it that way. Basically, mm -hmm. if they if they've gone a bit mad and they're a bit violent and they're feeling very aggressive, if you put their body to something, something challenging very quickly that you know that 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 switch between mind and body happens and they focus physically on something and that can be really therapeutic so that especially in the camps that's become a really big part of what we do because it burns off some of that frenetic and built up uh anxiety and frustration and energy and that they are they're like little fireballs sometimes and if the weather's bad like if it's been windy you'll turn up and the whole camp's gone crazy and the kids are just mad because they didn't sleep and they're tired and they're pissed off with the wind so hmm. In those days. But then we have something, we developed something called uh, the Clown Crisis Resolution System. <laughs> so, basically... This, uh, this sounds like something world leaders might need. Th this is good. We, we, we can save marriages, I, I swear. <laughs> so, there's, there's three, it's a three-stage approach. Number one is violence is a problem. You know, violence, especially amongst, amongst communities that are on the outside of society, violence is prevalent, often because they've mm -hmm. experienced violence themselves. Uh, within the refugee crisis, there have been many, many, many families who have passed through the most unforgivable violence from border guards, from police, from other groups, from angry national, you know, nationalists, whatever. Mm -hmm. And those kids, those kids have seen that. And it's, you know, what kids are like, they're sponges, they, they learn everything. And so there are many, many times, especially in the beginning, when we're working with a group that their first reaction is to get violent to each other. And they're not just a little scrap, it's not a little dust up, it's they want to pick up a rock and give each other a proper whack. They're furious. So we bought uh, a set of giant sumo suits. And when they're violent and they want to fight each other, there's no point. You can't, you can't turn the river back. You can't tell a river to flow the other direction. If a kid has got to let their energy out, they've got to let their energy out. Mm -hmm. And telling them to stop is doing nothing more than penting it up for another day. Yeah, so yeah. we put them in sumo suits. 
and we let them have a have a sumo wrestle. Now, the funny thing about the sumo suits, it's the minute you get in, you look ridiculous. So everybody's giggling, even you. You can't help it. My worst enemy could stand opposite me in a sumo suit and I'll laugh. You can't help it. <laughs> and then the next step is you can't hurt each other because your arms are sticking out to the side like a star stuck in. You know, imagine like an orange with two hands sticking out. That's how round these sumo suits are. And then it's so tiring to throw this other person around (laughs) that you give it three minutes and those kids will be laughing, tired and the best of friends again. And it Mm. happens all the time. We use it all the time because I don't want to, I don't want to punish kids who are reacting to a situation they've had to endure. There's no punishment doesn't work. So Mm. you have to find another way. In addition to that, we bought a bouncy castle. I hate them normally, but we bought a huge bouncy castle and on days when they're just pumped because they've, they're bad weather or, you know, whatever's happened, we let them just unleash on the bounce cars. As long as it's safe, like we monitor it and make sure that not, you know, not 100 million people on at the same time, but just bouncing and letting out some of that and saying to them, louder, louder, louder. It's encouraging that to come out. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, that's it. It's a noise, physical activity. And then, uh, and then yeah, they, they, they change. That, that kind of crisis mode calms down and they just get back to playing. And it's, that's, you know. Yeah, that's really great to hear. I mean, so much of... So much of what we learn about in kind of our upbringing is like, okay, let's, you know, no, no gunplay, uh, you know, let's, let's, everybody, everybody stay safe. It's my job to keep you guys safe. Um, mm. You know, we don't hit, hitting hurts, all of this kind of stuff. I'm a, I'm a parent, so I. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dealing with. I mean, don't be wrong. In no way do I support violence between them. Like, that's the thing. And we, we always break a fight up. We always stop it. But these kids are in a different situation. Exactly. That's, that's kind of, you know, what I'm hearing. Right. And, and you have to figure out some way to channel that energy because you're right. They have been experiencing so much violence from all of these different corridors of our society. Right. And, Mm. and it's, how are you going to respond to that other than kind of toughening up and hardening up yourself? Right. Like how, how else are you going to see how you carry on into the world? Um, uh, if not through a lens of like, I gotta be, I gotta be tough. I gotta be able to kick some ass. Um, yeah. I have to, you know, the, the emotion that I present out to the world is going to be anger, you know, these kind of things. Right. And, mm. um, but it's, it's kind of a survival thing, you know, and yeah. especially in many camp. And then you've got the added addition that, um, the added addition, that's two ways of saying the same thing. You have the addition <laughs> of, uh, why well, use one word? We can use eight. You have the addition of, <laughs> of, uh, <laughs> So Bendix laughed at me across the desk because I use a lot of words when I could just say one. Um, <laughs> I appreciate they, it. It's good. They've been, through, they've been through situations as well, for example, where there's a queue. You have to queue up to get something, whatever, mm-hmm. food, medical care. And the back of the queue don't get it because there's not enough. And they have many, many, many times not been enough of the thing. Right. So if you're violent and tough and you punch your way to the front and get something, what does your kid learn? What do the kids watching learn? They learn that violence, not only is it a good self-protection, but it also means, you know, my mum has a saying, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Now, if, you, if, if the squeak has got to be a punch or a kick or an aggression, you'll get the oil. You'll get the thing in the queue. Mm-hmm. And if, if, it's, if it's winter and it's blankets, who can blame anybody for not standing in an orderly line when they know through experience that the last ones and a lot of the last ones won't get a blanket? Yeah. And if it's, if it's your kid sleeping in a blanket warm or sleeping in a tent cold, there's not much any parent wouldn't do to be at the front of the line. But there is the, the knock-on effect is that these kids see that violent interaction and that, uh, that kind of 
aggression mm-hmm. as 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 okay. So the one thing I would say about the sumo fighting is also that um, we don't we don't, if someone is continuously violent, we don't just go, ah, oh, you were violent. Here's the sumo suits. The sumo suits come out and again, and they know that we, we never reward violence. We only have one rule. Same as when I set up in a camp in Romania. The one rule is no violence. If they are continuously and continuously violent, we, we, you know, they don't get chosen to be the person that gets involved. And eventually they don't, they're not allowed to join in. Mm-hmm. So it's a really challenging thing. And getting that line right is, is hard. Because as I said, I spoke for a long time to a, a, a trauma specialist who works with teenagers specifically. Mm. And I asked him, I said, I'm, I'm, I don't know what to do sometimes. He's a therapist and specialist in, in, uh, in psych- psychosocial care for people with trauma. I said, I'm really worried sometimes because I, there's a few kids I have to send away often. And I hate it because any 12-year-old who has, there's no, I mean, let's just agree. There's no such thing as a bad kid. There's no such thing as a bad kid. Mm-hmm. There's a kid who's been through bad times and yes. picked up habits that makes them difficult to deal with. So I don't want to send 12-year-old Muhammad away every day because every time he shows up, he lasts about five minutes. Then he kicks off and is violent and annoying and does all the things he can to ruin it. But... I can't allow him to stay for two reasons. One, because it's not safe for the other kids, but two, because it's not fair on their experience. Yeah. But what do you do? I said, like, I don't want to punish a kid who evidently by his behavior has been punished. So he said there's a difference between punishment and consequence. So what I think the world needs to do more, we're, we're getting better, especially, I don't know what it's like where you are, but in England, it, it has got slightly better in that we have the respect to explain what the deal is with kids. And we always do it with the seagulls. We, we explain the deal. So with these kids in this camp, I'll get a translator and I'll say, I want to introduce myself and the team. I'm Ash, this is Bendik, this is Chloe, this is Bobby. We're going to come four times a week. And I'll just tell them who we are and what we're doing. And I'll say, you're more than welcome any time to take part in any activity. In fact, we'd love for you to do. If there's something we're not doing you'd like us to do, let us know. If there's something we're doing that you don't like, let us know. We want you to have a good time. So let us know what, how that works. Mm-hmm. If you are violent... Is my one rule. If you are violent towards me, my team, damaging the equipment or each other, I'll only give you one warning, then you have to leave the, the activity. And I said, the first time we said to him, I said, now take 10 minutes to think it over. This is a big deal. You only break <laughs> it once. It's a, it's a big agreement. You know, I'm asking for a lot from you guys. Yeah, and yeah. Let, me, let me tell you, this is not my job. I don't have to be here. I come here because I choose to. So if you make that deal with me, I'll, I'll expect it to be uh, a deal of friendship, a contract between us as friends and as mm. And as colleagues, if you break that deal, I'll assume we're no longer friends and I may have to look at moving somewhere else. It's not a threat. I'm letting you know that will be the consequence. And it was amazing. They're like, no, no, yeah, we want to say, no, 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 don't answer now. Take 10 minutes, have a chat with each other, think it through, and then come back and talk to us calmly. And then it was like the look on their faces was just dazzled because <laughs> giving, them, giving them a choice over their own future is also allowing their identity and their preference. Mm-hmm. And then when they come back, once they've done that, if they're then violent, we say, if you continue, I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you to leave for today. And then when you do it, it's consequential. Now, for the, we always let them back the next day. Whatever happens, nothing lasts overnight. The next day, they're always welcome to join us again. But they miss out on all the fun stuff. And, I, and we will enforce it. Like, if I have to, I'll stand in between them and the activity, and I will not let them pass. And I'll say, I'm sorry, I explained to you. I want you to take part, and tomorrow you are welcome again. But I will not have violence. So... It really is, is interesting. It's a complicated business mm-hmm. because we used to just be clowns and now we're security guards and <laughs> clowns and musicians and, you know, demolition staff. It's just crazy.
In this next part of my conversation with Ash, I ask him about how the flying seagulls are navigating the uh, divisive and fraught political discourse around migrants and refugees and the work that they're doing. And I also share with him some of my own personal history and belief around why I think familiarity and creating familiarity between groups of people uh, is one of the most important things we can do today. Well, I mean, it's, it's great that you guys are doing what you're doing. And I'm curious, like, what have you, you know, what have you been thinking about where the world is, where the world is at right now with, with these questions around migrants and refugees? Um, and, you know, basically kind of the first world being more inviting and, and trying to be a bit of a sanctuary space in some cities, right? For, yeah for these people. Um, but then this other narrative of like, you know, supremacy and nationalism and stay out and like, how are you guys navigating that? I mean, it's difficult because, uh, because ang- anger isn't useful as a, as a working tool, Yeah, but a- anger is useful. And anyone who says, don't ever get angry. I'm sorry, but that's BS. That's just nonsense. Everybody gets angry. And if you're not angry about a thousand children going missing, uh, in the sea of the Mediterranean last year, then then mm-hmm. you're not. Then you've got a, you, you've you've fallen into the an android state. You know you're a robot. I'm afraid because that's unacceptable. But anger is a good tool for motivation. So a lot of times, the big challenge for me personally this year has been has been turning anger into something proactive and constructive, because it's very easy to say this NGO that these people that. Now mm-hmm. I, I, I look at England and again we do get a lot of comments. There is a rising tide of, uh, of, of a divide within the society of England. So you have got people using food banks that didn't used to. We have thousands of people, you know, the, the number of on, people living on the streets, is some, it's like gone up tenfold or something in the past mm. 12 months. Some, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing numbers, but something like that is crazy. So I can understand there is this sense. But what Napoleon said about defeating two armies was the best way to defeat two great armies is to make them fight each other first. And so... What we Bendix rolling his eyes because he studied Napoleon. I'm paraphrasing. It's something like that. <laughs> I hate having people who know stuff. Annoying. <laughs> Go and watch the van or something. Anyway, uh, but the, the idea being that, and, and I, I think whoever said it, I said it then. I just said it just now, and I stand by it. It's so like, for example, when you have a massive swathe of like you know in England who are fear fear, fear is the motivator. So the whole Brexit vote, not for everyone. I'm not going to go into that boring polarized debate but like mm-hmm. if you don't think you've got enough for your kids and if you're told very clearly the reason you don't have enough for your family is because these people are taking it the natural instinct and the absolutely understandable instinct will be one of fear and anger where you say then we don't want them here then it's for us england for us but in this day and age that's a total twaddle because all of our economies are entirely intertwined globally mm-hmm. so if england for us Take every single foreign product out of this country. All we've got is one potato and a teapot. That's all we've got left. <laughs> like, that's it. So, so that, that's just twaddle and nonsense. And, and that, it is maddening. But there's no point in bashing people around because that's what happens. The working class 
Brits have a problem with the working class European uh, migrant workforce who have a problem with the next migrant. So I heard I had a Polish friend the other day telling me why Romanians have come back, so coming to England for work. You know, it's just when does it end? Actually, the problem if there's a pay, a pay divide or a or a you know a lack of, and I keep going back to this pay divide, but I really do think it's relevant because there's a lot of money in the world, there's a mm-hmm. lot of resources. Yeah, um, it's that we don't blame the boss. If someone is working, take they take our jobs. I'm sure it's the same everywhere. They take our jobs. Really? Why? Well, they'll do it for four quid an hour. Okay, so your boss wants to hire two of them for four pound an hour rather than paying everybody eight. So who's in the wrong? The two guys who want four who work for four pound an hour because in Romania the industry has been siphoned off and sold off into Europe, or is it the guy that hires two people for four pound an hour rather than you? And if we turn our attention upward towards the people that make those decisions, mm-hmm. towards the ones that are squirreling away whole huge amounts for themselves without sharing it, either be it, you know, the governments or, you know, I don't want to go all crazy conspiracy, but there is a lot more that could be done mm-hmm. that isn't because we're too busy fighting with each other. You know, we're all actually on a similar level. I actually think none of us are different from anybody else, rich or poor or anything else. But there's definitely there's definitely a kinship and a community uh, cohesion that should be more powerful, that should call the business leaders and the political leaders to account that doesn't because we're too busy pointing fingers at each other mm-hmm. and saying it's their fault. You know, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm in dismay a lot and I'm, I'm very angry a lot. I think we all have been in my team. So we just keep pushing the message of love and, and not in a hippie way, but in a genuine way. Like what is important when you lay on your deathbed? Will you say, yes, yes, I'm going to leave three BMWs and a huge house behind proud. No. Are you going to lay on your deathbed thinking about the family that you raised and the, and the love that you share with each other? Now, those are the thoughts when you get into old age that unless you've gone really off the track, that, that will weigh on your mind. You know, you, you feel heartbreak. Mm-hmm. You feel love. You feel jealousy for those things. And it's far more powerful that. So we have a policy within all of our communication strategy and everything we say not to get involved in politics, not to go left or right, but just keep saying, is it okay that children suffer when we could make it better? Is it okay that people are dying in boats when we have the the resources to stop that from happening? Is it okay that people are living in the cold? I mean, in Serbia last Christmas, you know, at least at least one uh, refugee was dying a day on the streets of Belgrade from freezing. Mm-hmm. That is not acceptable. And I think if any co- European citizen in any country has an argument that can justify why that loss of life is in some way all right or some way a consequence or some negative attribute on that refugee's person, I, 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 I'll show you a psychopath. I'll show you a sociopathic person in that moment because that is... That lack of empathy, being a sociopath means you have no empathy. Mm -hmm. And yet somehow we're allowing, you know, irresponsible media and governmental policy to almost promote that sort of uh, inward looking sociopathic uh, reactions Mm -hmm. to these moments. You know, there's 100,000, there was 97, Interpol said last year, 97,000 unaccompanied children entered Europe. Within those 12 months, 10,000 went missing. 10,000 children went missing in Europe after arriving. Now, some of them will be lost in the system, but many of them will be in places that, you know, you wouldn't mention in your, in your harshest and most dis- disgraceful of nightmares, you know, mm. like how anybody can politicize that sort of situation, heartbreaking reality is, yeah. is, 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 as I say, it's an indictment on a very irresponsible 
education system that allows us not to learn more about other cultures and about political and economic partnerships and relationships around the world. Like I didn't learn about the Middle East in my school. I don't know anything about it. We were in the Gulf War both, you know, throughout. Mm-hmm. I didn't learn it in the UK, didn't. And so I don't, I know, I, I couldn't have pointed to Syria or Iran on a map until I became an adult and took an interest, you know, separately. So, you know, it, it's irresponsible. We, we are, we are, we are, we are responsible indirectly and directly for those 10,000 missing children. Every European citizen who doesn't push their government to make better choices, every European citizen who closes their own door and says, this is for me and my family, we, we what matter. Yes, take care of your family. But when you've got enough and more, share more. Mm-hmm. It's not difficult. And I think that human instinct is actually in everybody. That's why when they see sad videos or they see my BBC Three video, the, the, the reactions are so instinctive and so immediate and yet it takes you you almost have to learn to be that callous and that cold you know you need food in your belly and a roof over your head and you need to do the same for your loved ones but beyond that i don't know i I can't be comfortable knowing that that many people live in the in the cold or go without food it doesn't seem well reasonable you, you know for me to like i'll just tell you my reaction to that video it was uh it was one of uh, a bit of history on my part maybe i'll yeah, talk about that like i um i spent some time when i was about uh i guess 11 years old kind of 10 or 11 living in chile south america for almost a almost a whole year i picked up the language and everything and then promptly forgot it when i came back later but my father's chilean so we went back and we kind of just lived with my grandparents there and every every day I would wake up and walk out of their house. They had this beautiful kind of farmhouse that was now surrounded by apartment buildings and things like, because the the farmhouse had been there for for years and years and the kind of city grew up around it. Um, And so I would walk out of this farmhouse and then then be standing on like a city street and all the neighborhood kids would be around. um, And... I went from being this like this Canadian boy to suddenly being this scrappy uh, young Chileno on the streets playing soccer with all these kids. And, um, you know, they, they weren't, nobody was wealthy, right? Everybody was kind of just making do with what they had. Uh, you know, we had an old soccer ball that we played with and we made up games in the streets and everything. And just the amount of joy and... Um, I don't know. I like it. It it uh, it really impacted me, and it 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 it's reverberated out through my life. And so when I saw your video, or the, I guess the BBC Three video, which is the one that you're saying is getting thirty million views and whatnot, right? Mm. That one just it just hit me to the core. You know, like I I just I've been reading about the refugee crisis and the migrant crisis, and um, and feeling like oh, it's so terrible that this is, that this nationalist vibe is emerging around the world and what do we do about it, right? And then I saw that video and I saw all the kids laughing and playing and I just had this memory of, of myself as a as a kid on those streets in Chile and I just, you know, I realized this is, this is exactly the kind of medicine that we need right now, you know? We need more, mm. we need more of that kind of um, friendship, Right between people it's it's about it's about seeing 
past these narratives that were being told about each other and, and trying to just realize this is somebody that I can play with. This is somebody that I can be friends with. You know, we come from Mm. different backgrounds. We have different life experiences, but ultimately in the moment we need to just come together and, um, get familiar with one another. Right. Yeah. And that yeah, exactly. And yeah, sorry, carry on. No, no, no. I just, I, I just going to kind of keep rambling on about how I think that's, that's one of the most necessary things right now. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's the idea of, um, of dehumanizing and rehumanizing and all those sorts of humanizing stuff. So like one mm-hmm. of the most powerful things I saw in Calais in the jungle, and there was a lot of negativity towards the jungle. You know, it was, it was an extremely rough place with some very unhappy people from all over the world that were trying to get into the UK. Now, the opinions and whether they are or aren't entitled to a place in the UK is a, is a debate for people who know far more than I do. All of mine comes from emotional reactions. So I just say, let everybody in. Let's give them a plate of roast dinner and, <laughs> yeah. you know, sit down and watch the borrowers together. Anyway, <laughs> but, uh, um, but there was this thing where, where somebody had gone there. There's lots of people with cameras doing stuff and some's good and some's not. But this one, people were holding up a sign saying, I was a doctor. Or no, I am a doctor. Another one, I'm a teacher. I'm an engineer. Now, obviously, due to the degradation of their clothing, a lot of the time, it, it was a really muddy and cold and horrible place. You, you, you don't realize how much you, you, you forget that when, the, you know, pe- when people left, Syria was a functioning, you know, relatively wealthy, beautiful, modern place. You know, yeah. Damascus City. So when you see someone in, a, in kind of semi-torn clothing that's been given by UNHCR, because you know, and you've got this, person holding a sign saying i'm a doctor it, it does make you go of course you could be a doctor of course you're a doctor why mm-hmm. why wouldn't you be a doctor but it catches you off guard and it realizes that but we, we we're so quick to corp, uh, corp, what's the word i hate that word compartmentalize people mm-hmm. based on appearance or based on uh their their current situation or their spot and it's like the idea that yeah you're a doctor or you're a this or you're that or and there's another one i saw where they said i feel lonely and one of the guys, he looked tough as nails, this guy. You do. If you've been outside in the bloody open air, so you've been in tents for three years, yeah. you start to look a bit tough. You know, you, you get weathered. You look hard. You've had to. And this guy held a sign up in this, in this, there's an online thing saying, I'm lonely. And I just thought, oh, like, that is, of course you could be, you know, of course, you know, suicide on the islands in Greece amongst the refugee, young refugee men has, has been on the rise. You know, there's been a lot of that. It's just... We've got to rehumanize it. And that's what we try to do with our videos. And when we talk about it, we don't really do a lot of self-promotion, but we do try and promote the, the, the work for that reason. Because I, don't, I challenge anybody mm-hmm. to meet some of these little kids that we're working with and feel the hostility and the vehemence that they say they will mm-hmm. do. Some mm-hmm. of the comments you get on posts, you think, even on the posts we put up, I got told I was a waste of skin. A few t- You're a Muslim-loving waste of skin, it said. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, you know, this excuse we give ourselves and nationalism, you know, even then I do feel a bit sorry for them in a way. Same as when I see punks. <laughs> I love punk music, but when I see like a 30 year old punk with big Mohicans, I think, oh, you know, it's a bit, bit attention seeking, really, isn't it? <laughs> and, and, and I'm attention seeking too. So that's me. And actually, I'll take that back like the punks. Those guys rock. Otherwise, they'll come around. I live in Camden. They're going to come and kick my butt if they do this. <laughs> but like with nationalists, I feel a bit sorry because it's like it's like the kind of manifestation of total ig- fear, of total and utter fear. And yet, to to counteract that, you act like it's a typical like boys in a playground being mean to the girl they fancy. It's a bit that really. Like 
mm-hmm. you've got these big, tough men and women yelling because they're just terrified that something's going to threaten their status quo or threaten their home or threaten their kids. You know, whose fault is that? Maybe that's media. Maybe it's lack of education. Maybe it's, I don't want to say they're all ignorant because that's not true at all. There's many, many very clever people who, you, you know? know, who believe the nationalist politics. But, you know what but I, I challenge those people. Come and, meet, come and meet Maria, age four, and hear her giggling when she's playing with a drum and tell me that she's an insect that has to go back. I just, I challenge you. It's impossible. It's that, it's what you're saying there, come and meet, right? And I think, mm. I think it's, it's, uh, it's not so much that there's anything wrong with, with people who have those views. It's more that they are being mediated. Just like when you're in a car and you're driving down the road and somebody, you know, cuts you off or something, there's a car between you and them and they've got a car too. And so it's easier for you to just, you know, shout something in your car, beep the horn, maybe mm. poke your head out the window and shout an obscenity or something like this because you're mediated by these vehicles. But do you yeah. see people on the street walking and somebody cuts in front of you and you're you're going to, hey, you fucking asshole, what the fuck you do? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's pretty it's, rare. Yeah, it's pretty rare, right? And, 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 and we've got the internet, right? Do. We've got the internet, mm. with which is like a giant highway of... The information superhighway, right? But it's all these people yeah. um, bumping around on comment boards. They're never going to meet each other. They're no, you know, or they're totally and then you've got, anonymous. Then you've got, uh, yeah, then you've got this tiny handful, and in, and comparatively, no matter how many ways they'd like us to be more scared, comparatively, there's a minute number who are willing to put on, you know, camo clothes, go in the streets and walk about trying to pick fights with people of other races or, you know, some of the things that have been going on in America the last few months. Like, mm-hmm. it's a tiny number. It is a tiny number. And we blow it out of all proportion and we give them status. By do- There are people who are, you know, who have difficulties in, I don't know how to say it, intellectually challenged and aggressively motivated, who are happy to go out there and kick over bins and go, yeah. But there's not many of them. The rest, as you say, sit and do a little type and a little comment, a little this. And it just, I don't know, we give them too much credence if we even engage with it. Mm-hmm. Just switch it off. Like I normally just send a message saying, thank you for your comments. I love you anyway. And then just see what happens. Like, when the guy told me I was a waste of skin, I didn't do it. I was so tempted. My plan was to like, to do, I was going to do like inverse trolling. I was going to enter him into loads of prize draws. Because I had his email address. And I thought, I'm going to spend a week entering this guy into every prize draw I can find. And hopefully he'll win one. And when he gets it, he'll be like, what if he won like 10? If I took a whole week, he'd definitely win like a load of stuff. And this guy who just like suddenly starts getting given loads of things and told that I love him. You know, it'd be a funny way of inverse trolling somebody. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I don't know. All of that's just, I, I just think we, we play into the hands of whoever it is that wants to keep us divided. Now, there is obviously going to always be division between races of people and, and nationalities. It's been as long as there was different people in the world they they feared and loved each other on equal measure but um but when it starts to affect policy when it starts to affect our governmental decisions then i think that's that's when for me it's a problem that's when it has to be solved mm-hmm. because i can't I, I can't abide a government that will bend to that sort of hostility and, and ignorance and i i don't want to get again conspiratorially i am i do enjoy a bit of conspiracy because it's fun isn't it but I want, I don't, it's not really a conspiracy. I just think it's far more a problem if we all unite. Because then we might say, 
you know, I, I genuinely believe that the majority of people want to help others if they can. Mm-hmm. I genuinely believe that everybody would rather share the food out than have a lot. Not everybody, but the majority. Now, if we all got together and did that, a lot of businesses would lose a lot of money. And, you know, the defense budget, we sell a lot of weapons in the UK. We're the second or third biggest arms trader in the world. So, war, you know, war is, war is a big part of our economy. Having, having conflicts all over the world that we arm is a big part of the British of the mm-hmm. British business model. So it wouldn't do very well if we all suddenly became kind-hearted and said, no, man, we don't want to fight. <laughs> Let's just come together and have a disco. It wouldn't work. <laughs> so, you know, th- there is a point where I just, I, I try not to condemn. My brother's got, a, got a really strong opinions on this. He says, I, and he never condemns, never judges. Uh, because because you, if you do, you only fuel the fire that you've burnt yourself on in the first place. So you just got to, you know, accept it all and do your best and try and be constructive and proactive and you know it is a challenge when you see some ignorant people saying some terrible things but But if you yell at them do you change their mind if you yell at them of course you don't yeah exactly and i think i think the work that you guys are doing and you know maybe we can at this point since we're coming near the uh near the time we can switch into uh some some forward-looking stuff here just real quick before we end so like the work that you're doing right now, I think is tackling that issue in a really great way. And I applaud you guys for it and thank you for it. Um, and the pleasure is shared, man. The pleasure is shared. And I'm just, I'm just curious, like what, what is your guys's, uh, what is your guys's plan moving forward? What are the next steps? Are you guys going to keep doing the work that you're doing? Obviously I'd assume, but, um, do you have any big plans moving down the, moving down the line? Yeah, well, I mean, this the wonderful thing about this this sudden burst of uh, of, of publicity is that it's, it's already opened a lot of doors, just in terms of logistically. So I had a phone call last week, and we've been talking for a long time. Like Greece, the, the crisis in Greece in terms of the safety of the refugees and what have you is still going, but there's an awful lot of organisations, really amazing groups, and many others too, doing their absolute best. So then we started thinking, okay, what, where else could we focus our energy? And I've been looking at Iraq for a while. Um, every time there's an ISIS battle in a city like Mosul in Iraq, you're talking about a few hundred thousand people who have to leave immediately. Where do they go? Into camps for internally displaced peoples. Mm-hmm. So across, we had a phone call asking us basically a long time ago, would we come and do some, some performances in some of the camps in, the, in, in northern Iraq when it's safe? So only if it's safe, uh, they'll get in touch. So... Our next big plan is November of this year, we have 30 days, 30 camps crossing northern Iraq, uh, visiting Syrian refugee camps and uh, internally displaced, uh, camps for internally displaced people. We also intend to continue our work in Greece, but rather than being based in the two kind of stable places, we're going to start to uh, mobilise so we can always have, uh, we're going to call them the, the emergency clown service, so uh, or the crisis clown unit whenever there's a problem any hotspot in europe we'll be mm-hmm. able to send a van with a highly trained team to do <laughs> to do emergency uh atmosphere changing and send remind everyone just to chill out exactly we we'll <laughs> even have that we will even have that as our siren um and then we're going to take a team to serbia so after i finish this call with you today uh, i'm in the middle of writing some emails to some organizations in serbia i mean there's 61 million it's not even just this refugee crisis there's 61 million refugees worldwide mm-hmm. and that's growing in india there you know we work a lot in the streets of india in calcutta and uh, jaipur and there's 
hundreds of thousands of kids living on the streets, living in all, you know, there's, you could throw a dart at the map and anywhere it hits, we're going to find groups of kids who are in need of some encouragement and some warmth. So Greece, Serbia and Iraq is before Christmas. Christmas, we're going to have to come back and see our families because all of our mums are going absolutely bonkers at where we are and what we're doing. Yeah. So I think like <laughs> they'd all like their beardy babies to come home and spend some time with them. Which uh, you know you can't go around preaching how important family is and then never see your own. Yes, yeah, it's hypocritical. Yeah. So, and then next year we're going to just yeah, on and upward. I think we'll probably try and send some big tops out to Iraq and set up some kind of longer term hmm. placements there. You know, the more team we have, the more funds we raise, the more we can do. Uh, I want at least a million kids laughing as a result of our project before I die. And I've lived quite quite a hard life in terms of I stay up late a lot. And I, I enjoy punk music. So I'm probably going to, I won't make it to 80. I reckon I got till 60, yeah. <laughs> 65. So that's another so 30 you're years. Past the halfway mark, maybe there. I reckon <laughs> if I've made it halfway, I'll be, I'll be satisfied. That's, that's been fun. That's been a lot of fun. <laughs> but I certainly haven't taken great care of the vehicle. So, so yeah, lots really. Uh, big tops in Iraq. Team going cool. out. I want to send a team to mm-hmm. Jordan. Want to send a team to Lebanon. Want to continue our commitments in Romania. Want to continue our commitments in Greece. Hmm. So, yeah, very cool. And people want to. And people got to come join us. Chuck us a few quid, and we'll uh, we'll just keep this laugh illusion going. That's the plan. So you you know, and just maybe I'll uh, switch into a few rapid round questions here to to end us off here. So you mentioned that punk music was like a a pretty big, pretty big thing. For you but what else uh what else has been really influential for you uh there's a russian clown called slava slava palunin i love him mm. i think that i think that his work is 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 the, the clown version of beauty you know when you hear a piece of music you go ah, oh, that's true music slava moves every part of his body moves with a love for his audience big influence i, I think there's nothing more stunning than than watching some of his work frank zappa i listened to my whole childhood and there's something about how naughty he is and how in, intelligently uh, rebellious all of his work was but still high standards uh, I, I love circus love music love the road love forest love seasons love nature uh, yeah I can't remember the question now have I answered it I think so yeah you know oh, good. What, what's influenced you the most kind of oh yes and, influence and, and Slava and so was uh, like was have you worked with Slava at all? Is he a mentor to you, or do you have another mentor? No, and no, I don't really have any mentors. They, you know, they come and go. So, like, mm. I, I, there's this thing the other day. A guy said, "Oh, you have to pick out the people that most influence you. Pick five. So I can name them: Les Tucker, my English teacher when I left college. He was so subversive and so funny. John Mowat, my mask and movement teacher in drama school, so subversive, so funny, but so caring. Patch Adams, you know, the, it's not just a film. Many of you over there, over that kind of that side of the world, know know about Patch Adams." What a, what, a, what a legend. Like, you know, he talks so continuously and he's so devoted. So massive, big up to Patch. Uh, Frank Zappa through his talk, you know, the, all, those, all those people who are changing things and challenging mm-hmm. things, but in, but, but in a loving and playful way because the world, the world is mean and upset enough and it's far more easy to be cynical and mean than it is to be cynical and kind. So I'm definitely cynical, but we want to do it with love rather than with combat. Yeah, I like it. Um, and one last quick question here. Uh, who did you want to be when you grew up, when you were a kid? And are you anywhere near that now? <laughs> that is an interesting question. Who did I want to be? 
I think that changes all the time. I think all the people I've named were definitely in their moment. I don't know. Do you know what? I've never had a clear, clear, clear image. So I, I, I can't name one person. Um, but a combination of all the people that I've admired and respected. And I'm not there, but definitely their principles are present every day that I work. And I'm proud of that. Okay. I, I, think like that's, it. I think that's where it is. So I can't give, I, I'm, no, I'm trying to think of even one person, but I can't think really. I want it to be free. I want it to be noisy. Mm-hmm. We're definitely free and noisy. And I think you're, you're totally, you're totally doing that for sure. Right. We're um, definitely getting there. And you're being free and noisy in a way that, uh, that's really helping a lot of other people. Um, just, uh, like you say, kind of experience well-being and, and feel mm. better about the circumstance that they're in, the unfortunate circumstance that they're in and hopefully are transitioning out of. Right? Yeah, because that's the thing. When, when I say free, like, you know, I've got long hair and a beard and if I say it to people, they think, oh, you mean like kind of bit hippie, bit like, but I don't mean that. I mean like, the, the, I think actually the luxury of growing up in a, in a, in a, in a developed country or in a country that isn't in conflict, however you want to put it, that's that's the right way of saying it. I had a really great pe- uh, upbringing. My parents were very loving. And until 17, 18, we, we all lived together. And I think what that gave me and what my health and my understanding that there's a gift of growing up where I have is it's given me the freedom to pursue what I want in life and to be who I choose. And actually, that is what is missing when you end up caught up as a refugee fleeing a war or when you get caught up in, you know, if, you, if you're born with specific uh, physical disabilities, it shouldn't be. But society, as it currently uh, exists, doesn't fight to make sure that they are free. And so, you know, there's no point in me sitting here now and saying to you, oh, all it takes is for kids to play a game and they're free to follow whatever they want. That's not true. Mm-hmm. They've got a massive, huge amount of hurdles to get through, both legally and emotionally. But but they are free to beat those things. They, they, have, they should believe themselves to, I hope that they eventually can believe themselves to be capable of overcoming those obstacles mm-hmm. because they're free to be brilliant and they're free to be happy. And it's their, you know, they're free to be who they are somehow. That's fantastic. That's, it, really. That's great. I think, I think what, a better, uh, what a better message to leave this on than that, Ash, or I guess I should say Bash. Say bash. bash or rash. It depends. If, if you're watching my show, you better call me Bash. But on email, you can call me Ash if you like. Okay. I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs> well, thank you so much uh, for for talking with me um, and uh, and sharing your story and, and the experiences that you've had and all the amazing work that the Flying Seagull Project is doing right now. Um, I really, uh, yeah, I really look forward to hearing more as you guys keep going. Um, and I'm hugely supportive. This is, this is awesome work. So keep it up. It's good work. You guys are doing an awesome job. Thanks, man. And I really appreciate you getting in touch. You know, it's, I, as, as much as we say, and it sounds cliche, actually the support and the energy of everyone that gets in touch is a massive part of what keeps us going in the darker moments when we're feeling a bit wiped out, knowing that there's people like yourself who are willing to sit and chat for an hour just to try and get us and our message out there. It's, uh, yeah, it's appreciated. Just know there's like a good troop of people out here on the West Coast who are pretty stoked about what you're doing and we're rooting you guys on. And uh, maybe one day, who knows, maybe I'll come in there too and try some clowning out with you guys. Come ahead, man. Come and do it. We're waiting. Okay, cool. Thank (laughs) you so much, Ash. Uh, Lovely to talk to you. You have a good one. See ya. (laughs) 
You can find the resources mentioned during this episode at togetherworking.com slash the working together podcast, all one word. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast for more in-depth conversations with innovative thinkers, makers, and doers sure to inspire you and help you make an impact in your world. And don't forget to rate and review so that I can continue to bring you the social innovation goods. Finally, if you'd like to receive the weekly Working Together Review newsletter where I share interesting finds and actionable insights about teamwork, facilitation skills, social innovation, cooperatives, behavioral economics, strategy, political theory, and a whole bunch of other stuff, you can sign up at togetherworking.com. 